Good evening and welcome, friends, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, I'm your hostess, uh, Karen Tate, and uh, we are here in our 13th year here at uh, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, I want to thank you for choosing to listen uh, to our show here and uh, uh, partake of the wisdom of our wonderful guests. And tonight uh, is no exception. Uh, great guest for you that I met recently at a um, uh, academic conference in January, a uh, pagan conference in Claremont, California. Uh, her name is Aya Man. Uh, Montara, I, I, I apologize, I might be murdering that. Uh, we're going to call her Natara for short. I am Mon, uh, Natara, and uh, she is a um, multi-traditional shaman. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun tonight because we're going to be talking about the internet manifestation and social justice. Uh, but first, I want to just uh, give a shout out to the Reclaiming folks uh, because I've been using a lot of their music lately. And uh, they have a CD available called the uh, Reclaiming Campfire Chants. And uh, a lot of those chants are about social justice and um, uh, you know, solidarity and collaboration and partnership and, uh, you know, coming together to make the world a better place. Um, so uh, the one you heard that little snippet from tonight is called The Welcome Flame. Uh, and uh, at the end of the show, I will be happy to play it in its entirety uh, if, you'd, uh, if you'd like to hear that. Uh, also tonight, uh, I have uh, some interesting stories uh, that I think you will also uh, enjoy hearing. They're from Pat, the Voices of the Sacred Feminine roving reporter. And uh, we're going to be talking about what's happening to women uh, around the country, especially in this uh, political climate. And you know, the news is not bad all over, uh, despite the way I think it feels sometimes. So, um, you know, stay tuned in with me. Uh, after my interview with uh, Natara, and uh, you will, you know, hear some of those stories. So anyway, uh, let's uh, go ahead and get to it. Um, I know it's been a while since I have uh, been on the air with you. Uh, I took a couple weeks off uh, to recharge my batteries and uh, recuperate from a fall uh, that I had, but uh, I am back in the saddle again here and doing well and feeling rested. Uh, so if you thought gee, where has Karen and Voices of the Sacred Feminine been? Um, yeah, we just took off uh, a couple weeks, uh, and I'm sure there was lots of great stuff in the archives for you to catch up on. But uh, if, if you were thinking that to yourself, no, you, uh, you were not wrong. Um, I have uh, not been here on the air for a couple weeks, but I am back now. So anyway, uh, let me tell you a bit about uh, Natara. Uh, by way of her bio, so you get an idea about all the stuff this woman is into. Uh, I swear, I don't know when she sleeps. Uh, but as I've already mentioned, she's a multi-traditional shaman. She's also an author, a healer, a teacher, a trans channel, a clairvoyant. Uh, she's a mystery school initial, uh, initiate. Uh, she's a Kabbalist and an animal communicator. Um, 
a guest lecturer at Southern California University of Health Sciences. She was the resident shaman at Everyday Zen Relaxation Studio, and uh, she's worked with Cliffside Malibu, uh, Keneally Acupuncture and Healing Light Resource Center, and the uh, Crystal Matrix Center, among others. Uh, she's the founder of both the Healing Alliance and uh, Present. Um, she's a, f- a founding faculty member of Matrix International University and a member of the Society for Shamanic Practice, uh, the American Botanical Council, the Sound Healers Association, the American Society of Dowsers. Uh, lots, of, lots of hats uh, this lady wears. And... Uh, <laughs> And as I said, I was uh, very impressed with her recently uh, when we both presented at the conference on current pagan studies. And uh, what we're talking about tonight is um, uh, the topic that uh, she gave uh, at that conference uh, about uh, the Internet and uh, how we can use it to our advantage in this uh, uh, particular time we live in. So anyway, I, but I will let, leave that to her to explain. Uh, so Natara, uh, welcome to the show. Hi, Karen. So, thanks so much for having me on. Well, I appreciate your time, and uh, my apologies if I murdered uh, your your full name. Um, I, 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 hopefully, I'm not the only only one that that uh, somehow has trouble wrapping my tongue around that. But no, goodness, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you for uh, thank you for shortening it for me. Uh, you know, to to Natara. Um, but anyway, so our topic tonight, uh, and uh, also the topic uh, that you discussed at the conference on current pagan studies, was the internet manifestation and social justice. Um, so talk a little bit uh, to listeners who might be, uh, you know, trying to wrap their mind around how to connect. Uh, these three things together. Um, I, I know you talked a bit about the internet as a manifestation of the fourth dimension. Um, to talk about that, how how does that work, and what does that mean? <laughs> sure. Um, so the internet uh, is a manifestation of the fourth dimension, or the astral, if you will, because it has no time, no space, no social baggage other than what we choose to bring to the table. And so it's really a place of archetypes, and the place of archetypes is where manifestation begins. Um, And so a lot of the rapid growth and rapid change that we've been seeing in the last hmm, 10 years uh, starts on the Internet. Uh, A lot of the social awareness, a lot of the networking, a lot of the uh, community building has started on the Internet because it is a place that removes uh, time, space, and social baggage. Um, it's neutral, it's powerful, it's ubiquitous. Now, having said that, um, it, there's also a challenge because the Internet was originally created by the military-industrial complex. And as I'm sure you and your listeners know, uh, anything you create takes on the energy of the person creating it, um, or in this case, the entity creating it. And so there's a bit of depersonalization that went into creating the Internet initially because the military-industrial complex is uh, invested in making sure that people are depersonalized. Otherwise, the military wouldn't be able to do what it does. 
Um, we can't think of the enemy as human beings or we wouldn't be able to kill them. Um, you know, as, that's just a fact of it. True. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, you know, they they uh, depersonalize everything. I mean, that's yeah. what they teach soldiers. You know, that's how they get yeah. soldiers to obey horrendous orders. Indeed. Um, and so there is some of that energy that is brought into uh, the creation of the Internet. But we can shift that, and I think a lot of people have been working to shift that because we can also use this uh, place of no time and no space, if you will, um, to create stronger bonds and to rehumanize people. Um, one of the interesting things I saw as I was researching uh, this presentation and, and the books that I'm writing about it is, uh, was that, um, are you familiar with the concept of trolling online? You, well, well, let me tell you what I think it is, and if and, okay. and uh, if I don't have it right, please feel free to con- uh, correct me. Uh, trolling. Um, I mean, I I know sometimes I will get people who show up on my Facebook page, and uh, you know they're really sort of a nasty, negative person uh, who, uh, you know, just sort of wants to marginalize. Uh, you know, other people's comments and, you know, all all degrees of nasty, I guess. Sure, sure. And that is most people's experience of these trolls. You know, I, there's a wonderful image if you think of them as the troll that lives under the bridge. <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah. And, the and they that, can be yeah. anonymous, of course, too. So that, yeah. that uh, I, I think that gives them free reign, so to speak, because they're not held accountable, really, for anything they sure. say. Sure. Um, And one of the things that I found as I was doing my research is that when uh, people are trolled, uh, especially uh, I looked at a lot of women journalists because they seem to catch a lot of this um, from all types of journalism. Uh, The women who personalized their trolls, in other words, the women who humanized them, who made them remember their humanity and the humanity of the woman doing the repersonalization, the trolls stopped and they apologized. So it is possible. It is possible to change that energy of depersonalization. And that was something that very much excited me uh, because I have a lot of friends, um, both, uh, you know, people of color, uh, people of non, you know, heteronormative, uh, you know, sexuality, um, women, you know, all kinds of people who are considered minority who get attacked online. And the idea that we can change that and we can shift that was kind of where I started with all of this. It was very exciting to me. And it flows into this trend that I've been seeing of moving more into the uh, ensoulment and imminence uh, of our relationship with the divine, in other words, moving into the feminine divine. You know, for 2,000 years, we've been looking for the divine outside of ourselves, and it hasn't worked real well. It's depersonalized people in general. And when we can remember that we connect with the goddess within and that it is not outside of ourselves, we re-empower ourselves. And so those two ideas that we could change how the Internet works and the fact that we are moving more into a space of imminence were where I started with this whole premise. 
Okay. Um, and I realize they're two um, completely opposite ends of things, but that's where it started. Yeah, and, 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 I'm, and I'm still, uh, and, and forgive me, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the empty pause there was I'm, I, you're going to have to spoon feed me a little bit more. I'm still trying to connect <laughs> sure. the dots between, no uh, you know, the, the uh, shifting the energy in the Internet so that it's a, a friendlier, uh, you know, maybe more spiritual place as as we also find goddess within is, is am i with you there so far yes and <laughs> um so if the internet is basically a manifestation or a real world experience of the astral or of the fourth dimension um we can be whatever we want there and we can be we can bring whatever energy we choose there and as in our sort of 3D world where energy follows focus, energy follows focus even more when we're in the astral, when we're in the fourth dimension, when we take away things like time and space. And so the energy that we bring to the Internet and our interactions on the Internet are sort of the key to this. Okay, okay, I, I'm, I'm getting it. Let, let me say to you what okay. I think you just said in my, in my words, sure. and, uh, sure. and, and see if to make sure we're on the same page here. So, <laughs> as we are understanding the goddesses within us, you know, we are being called to be the best version of ourselves, you know, our higher self, so to speak, as we sort of represent her. Uh, as, as we are the divine spark. And that's the person that we want to be when we are on the Internet because in doing that, we are also uh, making, uh, you know, that energy flows into the Internet and it helps the Internet be a mirror image of what we're trying to project. Yes, I love the way you put that. That is perfect. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Okay. I got it now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, so, and, and you know, so, that does make sense because we've all had these, you know, these horrible people, like you said, the trolls, yeah. or even not horrible people, you know, people who just want to argue with you, um, mm. you know, because it's a, it's a place of a lot of heated discussions, uh, you mm. know, people who genuinely, you know, want to have a place to talk about this stuff. And, you know, granted, these little boxes aren't the best places to, you know, have meetings of the minds or have, uh, I think, you know, potent, meaningful conversations, uh, you know, and, and I think the anonymity of the Internet is one of the things that tends to maybe uh, have people be a little bit harsher and a little bit unfiltered, uh, you know, when they're on the Internet as well. Yes. Um, and so it becomes even more important to carry that energy of the goddess, to carry that energy of personalization or rehumanizing, to carry that energy of my goddess self greets your goddess self onto the Internet. It's the easiest place for us to forget to do that, and yet it's the most important place for us to do that because it's all energy there. That that makes uh, that makes perfect sense because you know I can't you know and, and and I wish there were a way and maybe you figured it out maybe that's part of what your new book is going to be um, how do we get that message across to the people on the internet that uh, I mean look I'll, I'll admit to you you know I I avoid. Uh, I, I avoid conversations on the Internet that <laughs> tend to uh, have the potential uh, to flare up. 
You know, um, I've got kicked off Facebook pages because I was honest and said, you know, that all women aren't wonderful, you know, uh, and all men aren't horrible. Um, You know, so I've gotten to the point where I don't have meaningful conversations there anymore. Um, You know, I use it mostly to share stories that are in alignment with my political or spiritual views, you know, uh, or, or talk, you know, keep. Uh, keep current with friends but you know mm-hmm. the hard stuff you know I don't even I don't even go to you know social media with too much anymore you know or I or I really <laughs> keep it to a minimum unless I get a wild hair up my butt you know sure, um, sure. so so how how do we spread the word uh, you know because I think this is an important message uh, that uh, you know you have here sure um, well uh, I think we Start first and foremost by leading through example. Uh, I think that people respond much better to, oh, I like what you did there, rather than to lectures. Mm-hmm. You know? And mm-hmm. so I, I wrote up some rules for myself um, that I'd like to share with you uh, about how to, what, and how to approach being on the Internet. Um, and the first one uh, is the same as one of my personal rules for being out in the world, which is act consciously. Um, and the second one is to ground. Grounding to me is such a foundational practice, and we forget to do that on the Internet. We forget to do it when we drive. We forget to do it on the Internet. Um, and grounding Absolutely. is important because otherwise we are driving our personal vehicle, as it were, from the trunk, and you're going to run into things, you know. So um, act consciously and ground. Be sincere because it's all energy there, and so people are going to pick up on insincerity. So don't be insincere. Um, And one of my big ones, and this probably will resonate for you as well, is walk away if you're triggered. I am as guilty as anyone else as having the impulse of someone is wrong on the Internet, (laughs) you know? Um, And I have had to teach myself that when I have that physical sensation coming up of someone is wrong on the Internet, like, and now I'm going to go for a walk and talk to my dog, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I totally get that. I think that's great advice. You know, and then, you know, stuff that also works out in the real world, like be willing to move past fear. When we take fear onto the Internet, we amplify that energy as much as we would amplify the energy of the goddess when we consciously bring her onto the Internet. Um, Listen. Listening, Listening is such a challenge, especially in text format, because we are not trained anymore to process information in written form. You know, and um, I think per- people of our generation are a lot more comfortable with it, but we still forget because it's not what everybody's doing. Um, and so listen to me is something that happens when I read as well. Listen for the energy of the message of whatever somebody is saying to me. And and I would even say and keep an open mind about it because we've yeah. you know whether we're saying you know writing a message in those little blue boxes or we're sending an email I know we have mm-hmm. uh, probably we have all had those circumstances where our email has been totally taken out of uh, you know out of and well not out of context necessarily mm-hmm. but people mm-hmm. misunderstood our intention because they couldn't hear mm-hmm. the tone of our voice yeah. you know. 
Um, so you maybe give people the benefit of the doubt a little bit that, okay. that uh, you know, you might be being misunderstood on the other end. Yes. And you know, vice so versa. whenever I get an email or a message or whatever, you know, even if it's just a text message where I feel like there's a tone, I have to stop and I have to go, if there was no tone here, how would this read? Because there is no tone there. It's just some text. But I, like everyone else, I'm sure, read tone into it. And if I can train mm-hmm. myself out of that, then I can, you know, I, I'm giving people the benefit of the doubt because I'm just taking it at face value. And even if they meant it with tone, I don't have to take it that way. And I just freed up a whole bunch of my energy. Right, right, right. Yeah, because it's real easy to get snarky on the Internet. <laughs> oh, yeah. It real really is. Because, we, because of the depersonalization, we don't see each other. And, and so, yeah, I, I'm not as guilty of snark as anyone else. Um, take personal responsibility as another of my rules. So make sure that the information I'm conveying is conveyed in the best way possible um, with an idea of who I'm trying to convey it to. And if it's everyone, you know, make it as accessible as possible. There's a certain level of personal responsibility when we take energy out into the Internet as much as there's a sense of personal responsibility when we do our personal practice, uh, whether you call it magic or not, uh, on the astral, you know. Mm-hmm. We have to take mm-hmm. responsibility for what it is that we're doing and for the energy signature we leave behind. Good point, good point. Yeah, um, and so, I mean, obviously one of my roles is avoid depersonalization. So I always try to be in that space of, you know, in Japanese Reiki it's called gato. In, in uh, Hindu it's, it's namaste. It's, you know, the divine within me greets the divine within you. To be in that heart chakra space, you know, I, I, however you want to phrase that, remembering that mm-hmm. the people on the other side of my message are people. Right. Well, and, and, and you know, and, and I don't know if that's the end of your list. You know, I mean, maybe you were going to say this. I have one more, but, but. <laughs> uh, You do? Okay. Okay. Well, you, well you, you go ahead. What are the rest? I, I don't want to uh, assume Sorry. here. <laughs> no, the, the, the last one is, um, it's sort of one of my personal tenets anyway, which is foster equality. If this is a space of just energy and I have the opportunity to create the world I want to live in, then everything I do needs to be done with the goal in mind of equality. Because if I'm rehumanizing everybody, then we're all equal. We are all one. Right, right. So, it, well, if that was your last one, I would mm-hmm. I would add three things to this. <laughs> it's just just my, my my two cents here. I would say have patience, and that's one thing mm-hmm. I have I have a lot of trouble with. I'm working on is patience uh, with mm-hmm. the with the people and the comments uh, because you never know where they're coming from. You know, you don't know mm-hmm. their backstory. You don't know mm-hmm. where they are in their spiritual evolution, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd also say think of yourself every time you, you uh, post a message, think of yourself as a role model, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, because, you know, you are representative of goddess, 
if they, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if that's how you're portraying yourself out there as, you know, a mm-hmm. priestess or a goddess advocate or whatever, uh, if you're, especially, especially if you're a leader in some capacity or a teacher in some mm-hmm. capacity, try to always mm-hmm. be that role model if you can. And finally, I would say, because I know I have failed in these things uh, myself, especially when things get emotional and they're close to your heart. I think about, you know, during the presidential election, you know, everything mm-hmm. that happened to Bernie Sanders. Um, but you know, I I, I would say um, be be kind and gentle with yourself. Uh, you know, do the best you can, but forgive yourself. You know, and forgive mm. other people as well. You know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, you know, I I I think of uh, you know maybe the friends that were lost. Uh, you know, because of things said, you know, uh, mm-hmm. on on the internet, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and and that's really unfortunate. We should never let it get that far, you know, mm-hmm. um, because you know you don't know that the person the person on the other end. Uh, I mean, you know, you may be able to plant seeds of understanding, you know, or uh, or sure. new ideas for these people, and you know that that's always I, I think that's always important. Um, and, uh, you know, you may be able to change a mind, you know, not, not always, of course, but, you know, you never know, (laughs) you know, you, you you might crack that mind open a little bit and burst that bubble, uh, you know, penetrate, you know, that person's reality bubble. Uh, if, you know, if you use, you know, some of these wonderful, um, suggestions of yours. Yeah. And I love the three that you've added. I, I think that those are perfect and I'm going to incorporate them if you don't mind. No, go, please go right ahead. Go right ahead. Just, uh, uh, you know, from personal experience, you know, things I wish I had done better, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, don't uh, have any problem, you know, saying that I have, uh, I've messed up more times than, uh, than I wish I had. Um, But now let me ask you, you said the internet was created by the military industrial complex. Um, And, and, and forgive my ignorance here, but where does the story that Al Gore created the Internet come from? <laughs> it comes from Al Gore, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so, so, did, so he have, did he have anything to do with the Internet or what? Yeah. Uh, so, so the Internet was created by a military-industrial think tank called DARPA. Um, and I have not seen anything that says that Al Gore was a member of DARPA. So I'm going to take whatever he says about his involvement with the creation of the Internet with a grain or two of salt. Um, and okay. He also, I think, was the one who said that the Internet is a series of tubes, which it's completely not. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. It was originally created for the various military installations around the country to be able to communicate if the phone lines went out. And then it was co-opted by uh, the educational system. That was the next place it went because they were routing stuff through these networks at the educational places anyway, the universities and stuff like that. And so the university said, well, if you're going to use our equipment, we'd like in on this. And so it was sort of used for, you know, interpersonal communication within the university system. And only after that was it opened up to the more general public, and I think it went through corporations first before it really went into personal stuff much. Um, but it's essentially a network, a web, if you will, if you can picture sort of, you know, Arachne being uh, involved in this, um, 
of interconnected uh, machines that allow for redundant communication. So if I am at point A in California and I want to get a message to point B in New York, using the Internet I have not infinite, but an almost infinite way of routing that message so that regardless of what problems there are along the way, it gets there. That's basically the Internet. Okay. Um, well, and, 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 uh, and you also talk about, well, uh, you know, staying informed without getting overwhelmed. Uh, I mean, I think that's also a, that's also a good rule when it comes to you know how much news we watch on television. But but speak sure. to that a little bit because I I think sure, sure. I think um, you know maybe a lot of us are in overwhelm and uh, oh, you know we need to take it's better personal be right care now. of ourselves. Yes. Um, so I have looked at a bunch of the places where information is available, especially if we are someone who wants to take action. If we don't like what's going on in this country, and I suspect a lot of your listeners fall under that heading, um, as do I, um, but where to find the information that we can use in order to actually take action and perhaps some suggestions for taking action so that we don't get overwhelmed because there's so much stuff going on on a daily basis um, that it's, it's incredibly difficult to not be overwhelmed. Um, so depending on how you like to access your information, there's a couple of different you know, apps and websites and, and texting places that will get you the information you need in small bite-sized bits. Um, one of my favorites is an app called Five Call. And as far as I know, it's available for both Android and uh, iPhone. And um, they send you a little message on your app every morning that basically you have, here are five calls you could make to move to, change, to help change things. Um, because one of the things that we found, especially shortly after the election, a lot of people started realizing that online petitions and sending emails to our politicians don't accomplish anything. They end up in some sort of virtual waste bin. Phone calls are what are making a difference right now. And stuff like five calls is great because you say, yes, I'd like to make that phone call, and it automatically connects you. You don't have to go looking for the phone number, and it gives you a script, and it's very easy, and you can read through it first to make sure that that is what you want to do because, you know, we all have different flavors of change we want to create. But you can tell the app what it is, what are your core issues that you want to work on. You know, is it health care? Is it uh, women's rights or women's health care? Or um, is it equality? You know, uh, is it uh, reforming the police departments? You know, stuff like that. There's, there's all kinds of options. And you tell them where you are so that they connect you to the appropriate representatives. And it's, it's a really kind of magical thing. It takes a lot of the anxiety out of that thing. I know that a lot of us get really overwhelmed when we have to make phone calls. It, it produces anxiety for a lot of people. And when you have a script in front of you, it becomes a lot easier. You know, yeah, especially yeah, when it it's really does. an issue. 
Yeah. Especially when it's an issue that's near and dear to your heart. Every time I have to make a phone call about health care, I start crying. <laughs> you know, I have a couple of medical issues. And it's, it it's always feels like a matter of life and death to me. And so without that script, I turn into a blubbering idiot and I can't make the phone call. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, I no, love I understand. Things. Yeah, I love things like five calls. Um, there's a couple of uh, daily action is another one. I think they'll send you a text, and they just send you one. Here's one suggestion for a change you can, you know, help make today. Um, there's yeah. some other ones. Uh, Standing Up for Racial Justice is a, a very specific uh, website group. They will send emails. Um, they're geared specifically towards uh, white people who want to make a di- difference in uh, racial relations and in uh, getting rid of racism, institutional racism. Yeah. Um, and it's geared specifically towards white people. And so we don't have to ask our friends of color to do some of our emotional processing for us, to do some of our research for us. There, there's a group that's gotten together and gone, here, we will give you the information you need in order to start to make change. Because I think that's also an overwhelming concept is I want to change things. How do I change things? And especially now that, you know, I'm being told from a lot of circles, you know, I'm not allowed to ask my friends of color about how do I do this because they've been giving us that information for years and we haven't been paying attention. So stuff like standing up for (laughs) racial justice is wonderful, you know, because it it takes the pressure off of everyone. And we just get to do and be in action and change things. Well, and and let me just take a second here to tell uh, listeners that, um, you know, as a result of the Pagan Conference, and uh, I think Mm -hmm. either right before or right after you at the conference, that that beautiful, tall, thin black woman uh, spoke a little bit about, um, you know, ways that we could resist. And I, and she, she had, you know, I I believe she had a handout with some websites people could go to. Uh, I took some of those ideas of hers, incorporated them with some ideas of uh, one of the uh, one of the contributors to my last anthology, uh, Goddess 2.0, mm-hmm. and some of my own ideas. And I have a handout created now. So if uh, for this, for this very resistance work, um, and if any of my listeners are interested, all they need to do is email me, and I am happy to, you know, pop them an email with uh, you know with a copy of uh, these different things they can. And choose to do or not, and that way, you know, they they then they can feel like they are, are doing something because they absolutely are. Uh, but they and, and they can do it in an organized way, and they can pick and choose between the things that are, uh, you know, that call to them uh, without, you know, as you know, as we were saying before, you know, without having to be overwhelmed by everything that uh, you know they're bombarded with on the news or. Or on the yeah. on social media every day. Yeah. Uh, so you know, so if, if any of my listeners out there are interested in that, just pop me an email. I'm happy to send it along to you. Uh, and, and some, of, I think one or two of the things you just said might actually uh, be on that, uh, Natara. Uh, I think Probably. even Michael Moore. Uh, Michael Moore has a thing going too, uh, where I think if sure. you subscribe to him, uh, you know, mm-hmm. he also has uh, you know ideas as well. You know, so if Michael Moore mm-hmm. is somebody that you've, you know, you resonate 
resonate with, and uh, I, I love his work, quite frankly. Uh, you know, he also has great ideas. So, so I think mm-hmm. the point is, you know, we we can, you know, sort of uh, be discerning and pick maybe one or two or three of these yeah. websites or, or people and just kind of stick to that uh, rather yeah. than um, dilute our energy uh, trying to do yeah. too many things because then we get burnout too and then we'll, you know, we, we, we might be tempted to do nothing and we don't <laughs> want that to happen either. Right, right. Um, the woman you're speaking of, by the way, from the conference, um, her name, she has two names. Uh, one is Anya, Anya Anderson, and the other name is her Nigerian name, and I'm afraid to butcher it. I'm just going to leave it with Anya right now. Um, but, yeah, she is a wonderful uh, activist, intel- incredibly intelligent woman who, yeah, has uh, been working very hard within the pagan community to change some of this stuff. And, yeah, she had wonderful information. But, yes, exactly, Use, picking just a few things. Just a few things, yeah. uh, because otherwise there's so much out there that we can just get overwhelmed by. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, there's so much, so much to fix. But, but you know, let me ask you about this, mm-hmm. and because I'm, I, I, I'm curious, is there a way to use and use the internet to do magic? Have you, uh, yes. you know, aside from what we're, aside what we're saying, you know, put with the energy you put in. But I, I, I guess my question more specifically is, have you ever used the Internet in a ritual kind of a thing? Sure. You know, in a magical working? Yes. Um, because it is a manifestation of the fourth dimension or a manifestation of the astral, anything that you can do in terms of working on, in, in the astral, you can do on the internet, you know, and you can pull energies from collaborators, if you will, from, you know, diverse locations, and you can all come together in the astral on the internet and create ritual. Uh, one of the things that I've found is also creating rich, doing a ritual before I go on the internet and after I come off of the internet so that. I'm not bringing back oogies with me, if you will. You know, I do a lot of psychic protection work. And if I put myself into sacred space before I go on the Internet, much as if I would create a sacred circle before I go into the astral, I don't take things that don't need to be there. And then when I come back, I clear so that I'm not bringing back things that don't need to be here. Um, that's okay. a big way that I've been using ritual in terms of, you know, working with the internet. But um, treating being online, the way we treat traveling in the astral or doing any sort of sacred work is super important. And so if doing rituals on the internet is something that's going to help remind you to bring sacredness with you, then by all means do, you know, things on the internet. Um, I have started teaching a lot of my classes on the Internet uh, and creating that magical space within the class regardless of the geographical location of myself and my students. Um, I haven't done any really big magical workings online, but I tend to not do big magical workings very frequently anyway, at least not in the official way that like some of my ceremonial magician friends would do. Um, I'm, I'm much more yeah, hedge witchy, shamanistic with you know, how I do magic. Um, 
Well, you know, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking about the times I have been um, in a class. You know, when you go online and uh, mm-hmm. and you know, and you maybe have you know ten or thirty or a hundred other people there, uh, you know, listening to the same teacher, or mm-hmm. uh, maybe I think it's uh, oh, I don't know, is there something called Zoom now, uh, where yeah. it's almost like every everybody is on a, a Skype together, kind of a thing, is mm-hmm. what it reminds sure. me of. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've never, I've never, of course, I've, I've done a class like that, or I've given a mm-hmm. talk like that. But you know, I've never mm-hmm. really thought to do, you know, about doing magic like that because, mm-hmm. you know, when you do magic, you're usually creating a container in the space, and you're, and you're mm-hmm. all in the same room, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm, it seems like it would be different for a group to try to do magic over the internet together. I wonder sure. uh, if, if the potent, you know, would the potency be affected? <laughs> um, I think sometimes it actually makes it more potent. Right after the election, um, there were a number of our colleagues that uh, shared. Uh, via the internet, various invocations and spells for mm, for various things uh, affecting the energy of the post-election being sort of thing. Um, and there was one that was put out by Orion Foxwood that was absolutely brilliant. I believe it was Orion's. And he was invoking Columbia because she is the patron saint or goddess of the United States. Um, and it was all about let's make sure that the U.S. is okay and invoking Columbia in that. And even just him sharing that on the Internet had people all over the country and possibly all over the world reading that. And mm. anytime you say an invocation together, you're creating an energy. Right, right. Well, and, and, and you think so about powerful. when people do – it, it, and you think about when people do these attunements, so to speak, and, yeah. you know, everybody agrees to maybe, you know, do this meditation or attunement or prayer, whatever you want to call it, at a specific time so that it's sure. synchronized, uh, you mm-hmm. know, across the globe or across the country or what it, wherever, mm-hmm. you know, wherever it's being done. Um, you know, uh, so it, in a way it's kind of like that. But but you sure. do it, I think what you're saying is you don't even have to synchronize it. It's just by virtue of the fact that this is, you know, this spell is getting so much attention and people are putting so much energy into it uh it's it's just that incredibly intense focus that is really making it happen even if we're not doing it all at eight o'clock on saturday sure synchronizing it to eight o'clock on saturday is actually for our benefit not for the any benefit of the energy itself because let's remember again in the astral and on the internet there is no time there's no space and Uh. so the you know the the spell the invocation whatever it is sits there and every time someone comes to it and reads it they feed it you know and so it mm-hmm. becomes this archetypal energy and it has no relation to time and space because just like anything on the astral you know once we're out of body time and space are kind of a nebulous thing anyway you know anybody who's ever done any fairy work is pretty familiar with this concept um, but 
it can just exist there. But I mean, I'm teaching a really powerful class right now. It's a small class, but it's uh, my like pathworking level Kabbalah class, and we're doing moving a lot of energy. And I'm teaching it online through Zoom. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, well, you know, one other thing that I thought was important, you talked at the conference about uh, the forces that want to prevent progress or roll back yeah. progress or, yeah. or using these tools to further their agenda. Sure. So how can we use their energy against them? <laughs> Speak to that a little bit. That's a wonderful question because, yeah, tools are neutral. It, it's all, you know, the intention we bring to the tool is, is what shifts that. Um, and you look at Trump's use of uh, Twitter because Twitter is a very powerful tool and it's very no time, no space, short bursts of energy uh, or communication that put a lot of people together. And there's a lot of social change that's happening on Twitter. And you've got, you know, people like Trump co-opting that space. Um, so making sure that when you go onto the internet that you are carrying as much goddess energy as you possibly can to essentially dilute or change the tune or the tone or the harmonic of the energy of the people bringing what we don't want. Right, right. Um, so, you know, that, that involves like, you know, are you protected? Do you go onto the astral without running some protection first? If you do, you might want to check that. You know, same thing with the Internet. Um, are you clear in your intentions? Are you clear in your energy? Are you aware of where you're throwing your energy? Are you aware of the alliances, alliances and alignments you create? So, you know, bringing that idea of sacred space that we are all capable of carrying with us wherever we go, whether in physicality or not, and taking that into the into the astral, into the internet, um, you know, consciously carrying the goddess, if you will, because right, right, right. you know, as as you know, the goddess is super powerful, and uh, we are all connecting much more, I think, with her on a visceral level. And so, when we bring that energy onto the internet, we start to actually change the energy of the internet. We uh, brighten it, if you will, you know. Well, yeah, and I mean, think about the, the, how powerful some of those hashtags, uh, oh, you know, when they catch on, you know, how mm-hmm. they just kind of go viral. Um, you know, I was I was thinking the other day, I was actually writing the foreword of my next anthology that's coming out, and I said something, I, well, I wrote something to the effect of, I was thinking about how Bernie Sanders would be able to send out a tweet and 48 mm-hmm. hours later fill a stadium. And mm-hmm. and so that made that made me start to you know and and so I was thinking about that and also connecting it to the way the corporate owned media sort of creates a narrative you know I mean it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be true but for instance I remember when uh, everybody was saying oh my God we can't tax the job creators you know um, <laughs> so so they start a, a narrative and it suddenly it becomes a fact and then everybody starts to believe it. 
So I was trying to think the other day about, well, I, you know, it, it wouldn't it be wonderful if we created a narrative, um, yeah. you know, you know, just like, for instance, you know, how Bernie's message has been catching on across the country about, you know, the oligarchy and, you know, all of this, mm-hmm. that, you know, we could, we, you know, we really could have all of these things if, uh, you know, if, if we had a fair, uh, you know, if, if we had democratic socialism and all of this mm-hmm. sort of thing. But I, I'm getting sidetracked here, but my point is, <laughs> you know, if, if, if if there were a way to organize ourselves where uh, and and I don't know who the organizing force would be, but you know some uh, entrepreneur like person could somehow um, heard the heard us these cats that we are uh, as hard as that is but but to start um, start uh, dictating the narrative so to speak, so that in a way then we compete with uh, you know, with some of the narratives that are out there. Uh, sure. You know, I, I, I don't know. I've, I've just been thinking about that. And, you know, when we okay. could perpetuate these ideas on our blogs, on Twitter, mm-hmm. on Facebook, you know, kind of the mm-hmm. way the hashtags work, where we're all using the same phrase or we're all using mm-hmm. the same sentence, and how that could snowball, you know, into uh, a new um, way to raise awareness and raise consciousness, and and that's I mean that's magic in itself. Putting that energy sure. uh, into the universe like that. I love anyway, I'm just thinking out loud here. <laughs> yeah, let me reframe some of the ideas that you're talking about to uh, because some of the stuff that you're talking about is no longer how things work. I mean, you're, you're familiar with the fact that the paradigm has been changing, you know, in our lifetime it has been changing. Um, and part of uh, the gift that we got from the Occupy movement was an understanding that we don't have to have individual leaders. We don't have to have a person dictating the thing. And, you know, in fact, one of Bernie's strengths, what that he did was that he gathered or motivated, I suppose, a whole bunch of people who I happen to think are wizards and sorcerers on the Internet to create some of the buzz around him and to help create a network that would get his message out. Um, And he used that to great advantage. Um, There are already some smaller groups, smaller like in terms of they're not, you know, a multinational corporation, Um, but there are some, some groups uh, uh, that are using the internet and including Twitter uh, to create some of that changing of the narrative. Uh, Black Lives Matters, Matter is a, is a perfect example of that. They have changed the narrative. Um, yes. And they're, yes. you know, in terms of like, you know, what they're fighting against, they're a small group. And yet they've been highly effective. They have used the tool well. Um, and so it's really more of gathering together like-minded people and agreeing to use the hashtags and to further the narrative that you want to make more people aware of. Um, and because of the energy of the Internet and, like, how powerful it has become, because it's become, then becoming more and more powerful because you get more and more people there, and so it's got more and more energy, um, 
it once you start that ball rolling, it will take on a life of its own, and it will change the narrative. It has. You, you look at the, the Bernie yeah. Sanders movement. You look at Black Lives Matter. You, you look at like any number of things, and it has made drastic change. It takes that that what you fed it, and it snowballs it. And so yeah. if we can take the goddess movement into that space and give it a nudge, we can create huge change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I've like, you know, I would love to start some sort of narrative about uh, greed is a disease, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, greed is a disease, you know, tax the rich, you know, because I get, I get so tired of hearing them say on television, you know, that uh, we can't afford to do this and we can't afford to do that. <laughs> well, you know, maybe we can't afford it because most people aren't paying their taxes, you know. The mm-hmm. people that can afford to pay are not paying, you know. And, and I get so angry that the corporate-owned media, you know, they just let these people get away with saying the stuff that they say and they're never challenged on it you know and it's like I I, I would just love to go ahead ahead. (laughs) no 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 you no to you um, I, I think that some of that narrative has been changing, and I want to give credit where credit is due. I think Bernie Sanders has had a lot to do with that. I think Elizabeth Warren has had a lot to do with that. And while I don't spend a lot of time on corporate media, there are a couple of select news sites that are news apps at this point that I will get some of my news from because their energy has changed and they're no longer letting people get away with spewing nonsense. You know, they're starting to call well, please, people on their Please, please, tell, pray tell, who are they? <laughs> who, you know, who, who um, are you thinking I have is, gotten is a lot of really, I've gotten a lot of really good news from the Washington Post, uh, who historically have called people on their shit. I mean, they called Nixon on their shit. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the New York Times uh, oversees The Guardian, Al Jazeera. Yeah. These are these the economists. You know, if you want a good and rational conservative viewpoint of what's going on in the U.S., the economist out of England is not to be beaten. They are they are amazing. They make a very good economic conservative argument, and there's no hooey there. You know, it's, yeah. it's not full of a whole bunch of partisan stuff. They just happen to be economically conservative, and I have no problem with economic conservatism. I have a problem with a holes. <laughs> Right, yeah. right, right. Or, or or people who have no empathy or compassion for other human yeah. beings, you know. Which is really um, the polite well, way of saying a-hole. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so let me shift gears here just a little bit. Sure. And this may not be in your wheelhouse, and we didn't intend mm-hmm. to talk about this. So if it's not, just say so, and, you know, we'll, we'll move sure. on. I, sure. I wonder, um, you know, because, you know, I, I, I'm a – I, I ask you this because you know you've been so focused on the internet, and uh, and I have been I have to admit I have been confused about uh, not knowing what to believe, and I wonder your opinion about this mm. whole Russia connection thing. Um, let mm. me ask my question, and then if you have mm-hmm. an a, an answer or an I don't know whatever whatever it is, but my sense of what I have been hearing. Uh, is that, you know, all of our national security, uh, you know, uh, organizations, uh, and I've even heard Bernie Sanders say this, which in a way kind of surprised me, um, they all say they are absolutely sure that, you know, Russia did all of these terrible things, you know, that they hacked the election, that 
uh, you know, uh, they were responsible for, you know, the DNC getting caught through and over Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, all of these different things. But I, the other thing I've also heard is they are they expect us to believe that based on uh, some third party's word that there has not actually been any physical proof that they have shown. It's sort of like, okay, well, you know, so-and-so said it, he's a reliable source, so yeah, it must be true. And, you know, I'm at a point in my life right now where, you know, institution does not mean so much to me anymore. I, you know, so many of them have failed us. Um, you know, I, I don't believe most things anymore. And I wonder, has there, you know, has, I mean, I, I think I would probably believe Julian Assange before I would believe uh, somebody else, you know, maybe even mm-hmm. James Comey, if you will, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I just wonder what your thoughts are on this whole Russia thing. Is it a deflection? Is it truth? Is it a little bit of both? Has there really been any proof, um, you know, of uh, this big Russia thing, or did that all start with the Democrats uh, as a deflection, you know, because things went so bad? So uh, a couple of things. The idea that they hacked the election, I think, is is a a gross oversimplification, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into that, but you don't need me to get all techy on you. Um, But there's there's a number of components to that that don't make it – it wasn't like, you know, hackers or something like that. Uh, There were a couple of things they did that greatly influenced the election. However, um, there is proof coming out. Uh, where did I see this? I can't remember the journal I saw it in right now, but it was somebody, somebody that I respect. So it was probably one of the four I just listed. Um, five. Uh, but uh, somebody has Putin on tape saying we need, we need to fix the election. Okay. So, so it's, it's not as much rumor mongering as one might think. Um, The information in general seems to be coming from enough sources um, in diverse locations with diverse uh, political affiliations, if you will, and motivations that I am inclined to believe it. The, the, The part that concerns me more than anything else is the amount of obstruction of justice that we're seeing come out of the administration about it. Because if there's nothing to hide, if, they, if the administration has nothing to do with it, it doesn't matter what Russia did, you know. Um, it's not mm-hmm. going to change anything. We're not going to throw Trump out because we, we have definitive proof that Russia did a thing. And so the only reason that I can think of that makes any sense to me of why there is so much obstruction of justice going on from from a legal definition uh, is because the administration really did have something to do with it, that they, you know, were in on it, that they were, you know, working with the Russians in creating that. You know, and, and so that that does concern me. That's Nixon level crap. That's that's illegal. That's not just you know, bad intentions or whatever. That's like you actually did a bad thing and you might want to go to jail for that, you know? Um, and if the top level politicians in our country, at least of the executive branch are involved in that, that is something that we need to not discount, you know? And, 
even if there wasn't this tape of Putin going, yeah, we need to do this, the amount of obstruction of justice is super concerning to me, and I would hope that it was it's super concerning to a lot of people. Well, and you just Sorry, had I was Trump a poli sci major, so. <laughs> Sorry, what? Well, well, good. Well, well, you're a good person to be talking to about this. Um, well, and you also had Trump during the campaign say say to Putin, say to Russia, to hack, uh, yeah. you know, hack Hillary or wherever, whatever yeah. it was. But you see, I don't, I don't yeah. think anybody takes Trump seriously. You know, uh, you know, should. he was just sort of a, a cartoon character. So I don't think they really, um, you know, when he said that, I don't think anybody was thinking he, uh, you know, because really that that would be treason, you know. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. and it, se- oh, it yeah. seems it seems and I, and I'm amazed honestly, you know, if the if the Democrats really believe all of this, I don't think I've heard any of them except maybe once or twice whisper the the T word. You know why are they not saying this is this is potential treason, and and sure, I don't know maybe it's just it's because they're always so lily livered, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I I agree with you that there's, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of co-signing people's BS going on in the Democratic Party as well. There's a few standout people who aren't doing that, you know, Maxine Waters, uh, Chuck Schumer, Elizabeth Warren. Um, Bernie, even though he's not technically a Democrat, you know, there are some people stepping forward and going, no, no, we're calling this. But, yeah, the, the majority of the Democratic Party at the level of, you know, House and Senate are, are uh, they're, you're, really livered is a perfect word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, someone told me um, who has a, you know, here it's, you know, one of these things, but uh, Mm -hmm. I'm waiting to see if this this ends up hitting the airwaves somewhere. Uh, Someone told me uh, that they have a friend who works for a senator, and what they think is going to come out is some of the reason that that the Republicans are not pushing Trump or, 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 or really getting behind this obstruction of justice uh, and, you know, really trying to uncover what's, you know, what's at the heart of this Russia stuff is because mm-hmm. all of this money that they get from, you know, the Citizens United, all of that dark money, uh, they mm-hmm. have been money, launder- money laundering it through Russia. And yeah. wouldn't that be something, you know, wouldn't oh, that be something if that turns actually... out to be? In some circles, that is a well-known fact, you know, which is why every time someone from the administration of this country meets with a Russian banker, we're putting our country in peril. You know, Um, there was an article that came out recently, and I do not remember uh, who wrote it, but it involves the Koch brothers um, and an economist by the name of Buchanan. It was mostly about the economist by the name of Buchanan, um, and it was written by, or at least it was an interview with, uh, the author of a new book that's coming out about Buchanan. And it talks about that dark money, and it talks about the political motivation of people like the Koch brothers and of you know, the organizations that have done things like taken over the North Carolina legislature um, and created all these hideous you know, non-equality laws. Um, and I really wish, you know, if, if I could wave a magic wand and make a thing happen, everyone in this country would read that article. Because it is terrifying, the level of um, 
of collaboration that's going on and the level of trying to undermine the values upon which this country was created. And I don't know another single word definition for trying to undermine the values for which this country, you know, that this country was created on other than treason. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, and, and that's, and that's the whole, that's the whole greed thing. You know, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it really just gets down to, you know, greed is driving the treason, and mm-hmm. um, and 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 I and, and 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 it makes me crazy that people just can't say it that plainly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, okay. they 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 want to dan- dance around it, um, but never directly say it. And there, there uh, are and, a few I mean, politicians it, and I, who are saying it. There are a few politicians who are saying it. Bernie is one. Elizabeth Warren is one. And so if we want to get people speaking plainly about the, the treason that's going on and the greed that's going on, we need to, you know, be helping change the narrative so that more people are hearing the narrative that's coming from people like Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Yeah, well, and and I mean, I I I do hear what Bernie says. I occasionally uh, hear what Elizabeth Warren says, but you know, mm-hmm. compared to the the megaphone that the other side has, I mean, they're totally drowned out. You know, well, um, here, you know, here's the, the thing: we as a population can be a megaphone. If you really yeah. are serious about wanting to change the narrative and have people start speaking plainly about greed kills and about treason, then be part of that megaphone and start helping spread that message that's coming from people like that so that it's no longer drowned out. You know, change yeah. is created on that small incremental level. You know, what we're fighting against is a monolith, if you ask me. Yeah. And the, the way to change that is for enough individuals to say, enough, I'm not playing anymore, yeah. and to lend their voices to be that megaphone. That's how we change yeah. it. Well, you know, I'm I'm thinking of a hashtag that says greed is treason. <laughs> Love it. You know, greed Love is it. treason, you know, and uh and and get that going. Um well, Natara, I have enjoyed chatting with you and and we're we're we've been going at this for a little over an hour now, if you can believe the time has gone by so quick. Um it it so let's I you know, I want to you know, give you the opportunity to kind of wrap it up here. Um uh, is there anything we haven't uh chatted about that you feel is important uh you'd like to leave listeners with or um are you still looking for people to fill out your questions? Questionnaire, um, you know, oh gosh, the, yes. the, the, um, you know, take take the next minute or two and uh, sure. and uh, you know, share what you think is important. Sure. Um, so, uh, first of all, I do have up on my website and on my YouTube channel. Uh, I do have um, a recording of either this past year or the year before's presentation um, on this topic. And so if people are interested in, like, kind of getting, a, you know, 17-minute download on that, um, that would be a place to go. My website is my full name, which is Ayamanatara, which is A-Y-A-M as in Mary, A-N as in Nancy, A-T-A-R-A dot com. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but that is where you can find a lot of that information. Um, 
I think uh, what I what I would hope that people would be taking away from this is that they can be part of the megaphone, that, that they can be part of the change, and that the energy they bring with them onto the internet, whether you know it's equality or honoring the differences in each of us, so that we are clear that our experience matters and yet we are all one. Um, becomes super important on the internet and that we can actually do stuff to change things by using the internet in a sacred manner. Um, and I believe the link for my questionnaire is also up on the internet. I'm basically collecting uh, research to uh, help with the book that I'm writing um, on this topic. Uh, and it will have in it uh, rituals that you can do before, after, and on the Internet uh, to help maintain that sense and increase that sense of sacredness. Well, that, I think that's a great idea. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad you're doing this. I think it's going to be an important book. Well, Natara, um, I want to thank you for your time tonight. Uh, I've really thank enjoyed you so much the chat. For having me. And, and the insights and everything. Uh, thank you for clearing up a lot of stuff. And uh, you know, keep in touch. And when and when your book yeah. is out and published, uh, you know, give me a jingle and we'll have you back. Okay. And uh, okay. you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about all of this and tell folks about your book. Thanks so much for having me on, Karen. I think it's been lovely. I've really enjoyed my time here. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, best of luck with all, all of the, you know, all the many hats you're wearing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Right. Okay. Good night. Good night. Well, um, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, and uh, shifting gears a little bit here, uh, we have a message from Joe Carson. Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree is. And I came out of it. This, this is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, you've been listening uh, to the trailer for Dancing with Gaia, uh, Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. Uh, in it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of goddess as Gaia. You know, Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean uh, to shoot that film. Uh, these spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. You know, if you've always wanted to visit these sites yourself, but uh, you don't think you're going to get there, uh, and, and, you know, you haven't made it yet, this is a great opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. Uh, this DVD uh, actually comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into the material. And you know what? It's a great deal at only $20. Uh, you can get the DVD and the booklet for only $20. And to get it, uh, just go to the website, dancingwithgaia.com. Uh, 
And, you know, Joe Corson actually has another great book out that uh, I, you know, hope you um, – are aware of, and if not, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about it. Uh, by way of um, this review uh, by Dana Corby in her blog, The Rant and Raven, uh, Dana is uh, reviewing Joe's book uh, titled Celebrate Wildness. And uh, here's what Dana had to say about uh, Joe's other book. She says, Uh, When people wonder aloud how the Wicca of Southern California became so much more nature-oriented and wild than the British traditions from which it arose, the one factor they don't take into account but should is theraferia. Theraferia, a word Fred Adams coined from Greek roots meaning wilderness festival, is a pagan tradition unlike any other. Based on Fred's visions of the divine feminine, the sacredness of Eros, and the potential for intentional communities that truly do no harm to anything, it also draws upon themes familiar to Wiccans such as sacred landscapes, prehistoric beliefs, and the fairy faith. Fred intended that Feriferia should lead the world into a paradisal future in which freedom, eros, and play are the core values, where that built by human hands merges seamlessly into the wild and the fae romp among us. Celebrate Wildness is a unique, exquisite, and profound book. It created in me a sort of homesickness, a wistfulness for the idealist I was. We all were back when we and the world and the magic were all young and fresh. So uh, Celebrate Wildness uh, is a short book. Uh, It's only 115 pages, but it is filled with art. Uh, It's described as art-laden pages. Uh, You probably won't read it quickly. Uh, You'll want to just marinate on the beautiful pictures, uh, on the content, Uh, take your time with it, let it sink into your subconscious. And you know what? Uh, what bobs to the surface will be wondrous. And you can find Celebrate Wildness uh, from the website feraferia.org, F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A.org. It's an oversized, hardbound book on heavy paper for $45. It would make a great coffee table book. So uh, keep those things in mind. And uh, while we're on the subject of books, uh, before we get to uh, Pat, my roving reporter's uh, stories here, uh, I just have to do a shameless plug for my own two anthologies. Um, I call them uh, Volumes 1 and 2 of the Manifesting a New Normal anthology series. Uh, the first one uh, was Goddess 2, well, actually the second one, I'm just saying them backwards, uh, Goddess 2.0, Advancing a New Path Forward, uh, came out um, right around December 2016. And Voices of the Sacred Feminine, Conversations to Reshape Our World, which uh, had essays uh, and transcripts from people I've interviewed right here on this show, uh, that came out about a year before. Uh, those are volumes one and two of the Manifesting a New Normal series. And um, if you're interested, you can get both of those books at a special price, uh, signed copies shipped to you as long as you're here in the United States, uh, and some free gifts thrown in as Lanyap, as we say in New Orleans, uh, where I grew up. Uh, you can get um, 
uh, both books uh, shipped to you, signed, and uh, you know they're only $34, and that is not a bad deal. You can go to paypal.me backslash Karen Tate. I'll repeat that, paypal.me backslash Karen Tate. Uh, just put in the amount, $34. Uh, they'll ask you for your address, and those can be on their way to you right away. And, you know, coming out this fall, I have the third volume uh, that will uh, be added to this series, the third and probably last volume. It's called Awaken the Feminine, Dismantling Domination to Restore Balance on Mother Earth. You know, I'm a big believer in partnership, and the reason I've done these three anthologies is because I think anthologies are a great example uh, of partnership. Um, and, uh, you know, I've always been a proponent of um, uh, dissolving the patriarchy, shall we say. But, you know, we have to uh, have an idea what we're going to replace it with and how we're going to get there. You know, we have to vision things sometimes before we can manifest it. And I think there's lots of wise voices of women and men uh, that show the way in these three anthologies. So uh, if you want to know more about uh, the anthologies or about uh, my own three books that I've written, please uh, just go to my website, uh, KarenTate.com. And, you know, if you're looking to make a goddess pilgrimage uh, somewhere in the near future, uh, you might want to pick up my book, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to travel across five continents chasing down sacred sites of goddess uh, with my uh, wonderful husband, Roy, and uh, came back and got the opportunity to write that book. So uh, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations, doesn't just tell you about the goddess and the tradition. Uh, it also tells you how to get there. And a lot of these places are actually off the beaten path. Uh, there, uh, you know, there were some sites that are not easily found, and um, you know, I have to tell you, back when I wrote that book, uh, there was nothing like it between two covers, and I have to admit, I don't think there is uh, yet. Um, I think it's sort of the definitive work on sacred places around the world. Anyway, uh, so that's enough about books. Um, you know, if you're like me, uh, you are a hoarder of books. I have a library of probably, I don't know, maybe 2,000 books. And um, recently I went through this phase uh, where I felt like I needed to purge everything. I, I needed to lighten the load. I needed to just feel... Uh, unencumbered, if you will. And I took about a month, and I went through f files in the file cabinet. I threw away files that went back to 1998. I went through the medicine cabinet and the bathroom cabinets and the kitchen cabinets and the closets. And, you know, when it came to the library, though, it was really hard, really hard to decide if I was going to purge any of those books you know, because I'm one of these um, worriers that, uh, you know, one day some of these books may be hard to come by. You know, uh, if, if suddenly we find ourselves uh, only able to get books on Kindle, well, what if someone is controlling the books that you can get on Kindle? You know, I think you know where I'm going with that. So anyway, um, I, I did compromise, though. 
uh, I called this bookstore uh, here in Los Angeles uh, who actually buys books, sent them pictures of a lot of the different spines uh, so they would have an idea of the selection of books I had. And they actually came out to the house. And uh, I let them go away with six boxes of books. And they paid me for them, which amazed me. Uh, but there were some of them I just couldn't let go. They wanted about 12 boxes of books, but I just wasn't ready uh, to, you know, to uh, to let that many go. But I did let some go. And, uh, yeah, the load is feeling lighter. But, yeah, books are just something that uh, I think I will probably hoard uh, for my entire life and, uh I don't know. I don't think that's such a bad thing. But anyway, I obviously I am a uh, a lover of books, as I'm sure many of you are. So anyhow, um, let's get to some of these stories uh, that our wonderful Pat, the roving uh, goddess reporter, has sent in uh, for your listening pleasure. Uh, the first one is titled uh, "Study Reveals Texas Has Highest Maternal." mortality rate in the developed world. Yikes. Uh, and this is from the Associated Press. Uh, I'll just tell you a little bit of it so you get the gist. Lawmakers in Texas largely failed to take any significant action to address the state's skyrocketing rate of pregnancy-related deaths just months after researchers found it to be the highest in not only the U.S., but the developed world. Legislators introduced proposals to address the issue after a University of Maryland-led study found that the state's maternal mortality rate doubled between 2010 and 2012. But several key measures didn't even make it to a vote, falling victim to Republican infighting over other issues. Lawmakers will have to wait until they reconvene in 2019 to address the issue. Uh, Colkhurst introduced a measure with wide support that would have extended the life of Texas Maternal Mortality Task Force to 2023 from its current 2019 end date, allowing the Committee of Doctors and Behavioral Specialists to analyze more closely the specific cause of pregnancy-related deaths. The study also found that the U.S. rate was higher than all other Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development countries reporting maternal mortality data except for Mexico. And the study offered no explanation for the reason. So that is pretty sad. Uh, abortion rights supporters... Uh, have put at least some blame on strict state requirements for abortion clinics that prompted closures. Those supporters of such laws say they protect women. Other failed proposals that could have helped with the problem would have extended Medicaid coverage to low-income adults and to mothers for longer postpartum periods, said Adriana Kohler, a senior health, senior health policy associate for Texas Care for Children. Uh, that's very sad for the women in Texas. Um, you know, we really need to vote these Neanderthals out of office. And I'm sorry for uh, insulting Neanderthals. Uh, okay, next story from Pat uh, is by Laura Bassett, and it's a Huffington Post story. Uh, this is what happens when women get elected. Okay, so now we have a positive story, I think. Um, this is out of New York. 
with the state legislature made up 40% of women, uh, Nevada is second only to Vermont in terms of female representation. And that translated into a landmark session for women's rights and health this year, even under a male Republican governor. Uh, Julia Roddy, Senator, Democrat, freshman from Sparks, Nevada, said, We started with some pushback from Republicans, but by the end of the session, we had brought bipartisan support on a lot of these measures. Raddy introduced a bill that codifies the women's health protections in the Affordable Care Act into state law so that if the Trump administration rolls any of them back, employers in Nevada will still be required to cover contraception, well-woman visits, breast exams, and other preventative health services in their insurance plans at no out-of-pocket cost to their female employees. The bill also allows women to pick up a 12-month supply of birth control at once. Six Republicans joined Democrats in passing the measure, and Governor Brian Sandoval, a Republican, signed it. Nevada lawmakers also established the Nevada Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, introduced by State Senator Nicole Canizaro, a Democrat, which requires employers to provide quote, reasonable accommodations, unquote, like breast pump rooms and a fair break schedule for pregnant employees. Legislators approved two bills introduced by uh, State Senate Pat Spearman, a Democrat, aimed at preventing stalkers and domestic abusers from possessing guns, and a bill eliminating sales tax on feminine hygiene products and diapers. And they established a state-funded family planning program to address a dearth of contraception access for low-income women in rural areas. Emily's List has been working to build and train a pipeline of female candidates in Nevada since 2014. The group recruited, trained, and endorsed or financially supported the campaigns of 15 of the 18 Democratic women currently serving in the state legislature. Uh, let's see, Cardenas, uh, let's see. Uh, Hardina said, we have been able to identify women that really represent the communities that are sending them to office. We go in there early, work to identify women who have a passion for helping their communities, and then give them the tools to win. Women, despite making up more than half the population, are grossly underrepresented in politics. They make up less than 20% of Congress, which often translates to rooms full of men making decisions that greatly affect women and women's health. And, you know, just as an aside, that said, uh, it's not just in Congress that uh, we have less than 20% representation of women. Uh, we also have less than 20% representation of women in corporate America, uh, and also in religious leadership, and also uh, at the top in corporate management uh, as well. You know, that glass ceiling is still alive and well. So uh, that was a good news story. And uh, and I'll and we'll do one more here. Uh, and I want to thank Pat for her efforts uh, sending these stories for us. Uh, this next one uh, is another Huffington Post story, and it's uh, by Molly Riley, and it's called New Jersey Town to Pay Millions After Denying Mosque Permit. Uh, and it goes like this. A five-year battle over the proposed construction of a mosque ended Tuesday when a New Jersey town agreed to settle a pair of lawsuits brought by a local Islamic group and the federal government. Uh, 
Benards Township will pay $3.25 million to the Islamic Society of Basking Ridge after the town denied the group a permit to build the mosque, the Justice Department announced. The group can now start building the mosque, and the town will be required to train officials on religious land use laws and amend its zoning restrictions related to, housing, uh, to houses of worship. Uh, federal law protects people of all religious communities from discrimination and, and unlawful obstacles when they seek to build a place of worship, said Tom Wheeler, the acting assistant attorney general for the DOJ's Civil Rights Division. Uh, through this agreement, the Islamic Society of Basking Ridge and its members will be able to build a mosque and exercise the fundamental American right of freedom of worship. So I guess that's good news, and let's hope things um, you know, uh, things don't change uh, with uh, Trump's Department of Justice. Well, uh, that about does it uh, for Pat, our roving reporter. Uh, but I do have a word here uh, from Laura Perry, and uh, that's going to be coming up in just a minute. Let me bring it up here. Uh, Laura Perry has been on the show. And uh, we love her here, and uh, here's her message. The Minoans of ancient Crete, an egalitarian society where women were honored, where the sacred feminine was revered, where peace and prosperity reigned for centuries. Hi, I'm Laura Perry, and I'd love to help bring the ancient Minoans to life for you. Explore Minoan spirituality with my books, Labrys and Horns, and Ariadne's Thread. Embrace your creative side with the Minoan Coloring Book. And discover the wonders of divination with the Minoan Tarot. You'll find all these at Amazon and other good online and local bookstores. Find out more on my website, lauraperryauthor.com. I loved books. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, uh, I have an interesting story to share. Um, I mentioned earlier that uh, I have a third anthology coming out in the fall called Awaken the Feminine, and there's an interesting story attached to how that anthology came to be, and I thought uh, my listeners might uh, enjoy hearing this interesting little story about seems like serendipity to me. Um, you know, uh, that that book had a hard birth, I guess I should say. Uh, we had a publisher for the book, and the publisher had some financial problems and uh, decided that they were going to have to cut back on a bunch of projects, and uh, they weren't going to be able to do the book until 2019. And I felt like the contributors had already waited so long for the book to uh, actually be printed I started thinking, well, maybe I should self-publish this. Maybe I should look for another publisher. What should I do? What should I do? And at the very same time, um, you know, this struggle was going on, I was going through what some of you may recognize as my second Saturn return. And I was going through a lot of uh, changes, um, 
and, you know, what I was thinking, what I was doing. You know, I already mentioned I went through this purging phase. You know, I wanted to lighten the load. I wanted to be vibrating at a higher level. I didn't want, you know, things holding me down in the muck. And um, uh, so, you know, things were, you know, were, uh, were looking kind of gloomy for, you know, the outlook for this, uh, you know, for this new anthology. And uh, I was faced with, well, either find another publisher or learn to self-publish it myself or pay to self-publish it myself. Well, um, you know, I, 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 I was not at a point in my life uh, in the second Saturn return where I could honestly say uh, it was my calling to learn self-publishing, you know, to get this anthology published. And, um, uh, you know, but I, but I really wanted, you know, these contributors to, you know, to see their book, uh, you know, see their book out there. And I honestly didn't have the money uh, to, you know, pay someone to, uh, you know, to handle the self-publishing end, you know, the formatting, the design, all of that. Um, so it it was really difficult. And I sat with it and sat with it, and I continued to look for a publisher. And uh, I put out an email to my list, and I said I was looking for an anthology-friendly publisher. Now, as listeners, you may or may not know, it's hard sometimes for anthologies to find a publisher. Uh, The big publishers don't want to touch them with a 10-foot pole, and some of the smaller publishers might. Uh, but the you know the the options for an anthology uh, you know to get a publisher are much less. That's why you see so many of them uh, are actually self-published. But anyway, you know here I am, um, you know feeling like I'm trying to maneuver my second Saturn return and all the personal changes uh, that are happening for me personally, you know while I'm still trying to resolve this book. Uh, when I get an email from uh, a friend of mine uh, that uh, I knew, uh, you know, we'd done some interviews together on radio. His name's Phil. And he said, Karen, um, I, I heard you're looking for, uh, for a publisher for your new anthology. And I said, I sure am. Do you have a recommendation for me? He said, well, you know, um, I'm a publisher, and uh, I'd like to publish it. And I said, wow, Phil, that's incredible. You haven't even read the manuscript. And he says, oh, I know if you're putting it together, it's going to be good. And, uh, of course, let me see it. But, you know, I, I, I think we're going to want to publish it. So I said, wonderful. You know, and I felt like, wow, the universe had, you know, answered the call. And then I said, so, Phil, um, you know, I, I, I didn't know you were a publisher. Uh, tell me the name of, uh, of your publishing company. Now, remember, listeners, I just got finished saying that I was, you know, in this uh, transition period in my second Saturn return. And so when Phil answers me and tells me the name of his publishing company, I just laughed and laughed and laughed because you know what his publishing company is called? It's called Saturn Returns. I, you know what? The universe has an incredible sense of humor. She has made me laugh so many times with so many of her little trickster things, and that's just the latest, and I wanted to share that with you. Well, uh, that about does it for me tonight, dear listeners. Uh, I want to thank you for uh, being with me, and I will be back 
with you next week and uh, won't be taking vacation for a while, so you'll... Uh, uh, you will have Voices of the Sacred Feminine to listen to uh, just about every Wednesday. And uh, if I'm not here, please do avail yourselves of the archives. Uh, and as I am um, uh, comfortable saying, uh, because I believe it so much, I remember, uh, you know, one of the one of my mantras. You know, what we focus on, what we give energy to, what we nurture, well, that survives and thrives. Uh, and so that means even if it's the bad things in our lives, if we give it too much attention, that's going to survive and thrive. And you know what we neglect, what we don't give attention to, that withers. So uh, I think there's a good message there. And with that said, uh, if this radio show has been something that uh, has nurtured you, uplifted you, um, if it has been a friend to you, um, I hope you will remember us uh, and nurture us and help, um, you know, take care of this show uh, to make sure uh, we can continue to pay to keep it on the air. Um, if you'd like to make a donation uh, to support Voices of the Sacred Feminine, uh, please go to my website, Karen Tate. Dot com. That's K-A-R-E-N-T-A-T-E dot com. Uh, when you get there, go to the Goddess Store page. Uh, after you've scrolled down through the wonderful books and special book bundles I have available and uh, the beautiful Goddess greeting cards and all the free stuff uh, that's there that you can take advantage of, uh, go all the way down to the bottom. The very last PayPal button, the very last one, allows you to make a donation of any amount. Uh, and you know what? We would appreciate any small amount because if many of you make a small amount, then uh, that makes a cons uh, significant contribution, and that helps to pay for airtime to ensure that I can keep doing this for you. Okay, um, as I uh, mentioned at the start of the show, um, I've been enjoying these uh, reclaiming uh, campfire chants, and I'm going to let you hear excuse me, the one that uh, I opened the show with. I'm going to let you hear it in its entirety. Uh, and it is called uh, The Welcome Flame. So sit back for a few minutes, uh, for five minutes and 16 seconds, and just enjoy reclaiming The Welcome Flame. Good night, dear listeners. Uh, come back to me next Wednesday. Bye-bye. <laughs> 